This podcast is produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, fashion for great sounding podcasts. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Every couple of days, we try to bring you an interesting interview with an entrepreneur who is doing cool things, and today is not going to disappoint. Today, I have the CEO of Chorus, Joel Trammell, and Joel is a serial entrepreneur. He started his first business when he was 25 years old, and since then, he has gone from one company to another and has continued to grow and sell companies, and I think he's got a really good perspective on what it takes to be an entrepreneur. So, Joel, welcome to the show. Glad to be with you today, Tom. Joel, tell the audience a little bit about the company that you're with these days, about Chorus. Yeah, Chorus was founded to help CEOs build better companies. Uh, And it's based on my 25 years of experience running companies and my observation that most CEOs have only email and calendaring uh, from a software perspective to help them run the business. While we've spent our time computerizing every other function in the business, if you're a sales VP, you have Salesforce. If you're a marketing person, you have a set of marketing programs and systems in place. We've really done nothing to help the CEO better run their business. So that's what we're focused on at Chorus. So what do you do to help the CEO? How does Chorus operate? Chorus operates by providing the CEO with a way to align their employees. So it starts with the CEO setting up quarterly goals for the organization. Those are typically three to seven goals for the organization for the quarter. And then it understands the organizational structure. So it asks every person reporting to the CEO to then put in their three to seven goals that may either tie directly to the CEO's goals or be at their own departmental level unique goals. And then you take it on down the system so that you cascade down to every knowledge worker in the organization so that it's very easy for every knowledge worker to see directly how they align to the strategy and the goals of the organization as a whole. So does this work for every size company? Is there is this like designed for enterprise or is it designed for a smaller business or somewhere in between? Yeah, we, we where the problem really occurs in businesses is once you get to the size where there's not everybody in the same room at the same time. So we find, you know, organizations over about 25 employees you know, can't really gather in the same room consistently anymore, and you need to start becoming more formal in how you align the organization. So how many startups have you had? I know this is not your first venture down this path. Yeah, you're you're the second person to ask me that today, and I'm not sure what the actual number (laughs) is, probably six to eight, somewhere in there, uh, depending on what you count. Uh, I've done three kind of uh, significant ones where I raised external funding, uh, and then several more that I've done privately with my own funding. So what has been sort of the things that you've learned around along the way that are consistent, whether you have funding or not, and, and maybe what are some of the things that are different? Yeah, the, the, the fundamental thing is business is all about people. Uh, we, we educate people in school, and we reward them for what they do personally, and then we put them out in the business world, and you find out that uh, you as a single individual can't do um, that much in business. If you really want to have a big impact, if you want to build a big business, it's all based on what you can influence others uh, to do. And so the ability to evaluate others, get other people to work for you, uh, you know, is critically important. And that, that's important whether you have five people with your own money or, or, or 500 people. 
and you're running a venture-backed organization. Certainly, your goals tend to be different when you raise external money. People are expecting uh, to, for you to shoot for a higher bar, get a bigger return, but a lot of the principles are the same. So, Joel, what led you? I mean, you were pretty young at 25 to say, I'm going to go start my own thing. What led you to start your own business? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I had got an engineering degree. I had gone into the Navy to teach at Naval Nuclear Power School, thinking I wanted to get a Ph.D. and, and be a university professor. And while I enjoyed the teaching tremendously, I, find, I found when I started taking a couple of graduate math courses that I just wasn't interested in engineering. And I'd had a couple of experiences uh, in high school where I'd worked for small business people and visited with small business people. And kind of clicked in my mind that that's really what I wanted to do. And, and so I looked at going back and getting an MBA, kind of pursuing the educational aspect. But at that time, uh, the schools around wanted you to take 60 hours of undergraduate business before they would even accept you in the MBA program. So as a kind of arrogant engineer, I thought that was a waste of time. So I decided the next best thing was to start my own business. <laughs> so, And that's what you've been doing ever since. Yeah, you kind of reach a point, uh, you know, I worked for a few years, we moved to Austin for my wife to work on her PhD, and, and after you've been running your own business for a few years, if you go try to apply to a, for a job somewhere, most people look at you like you're crazy, like, you know, we've already got a CEO, we don't need one of those, What uh, they don't know what to do with you. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of people who say that, you know, if they've been working for themselves, they become chronically unemployable, and I don't know. I actually, you know, I've been working for myself for six years, and I always joke that if I ever went back and worked for another company, I would be the best employee ever because after having run the shop and been responsible for everything myself and, and seen how, you know, the, the buck stops on my desk, I think I would have more respect for a boss than I've ever had at any time during my career. I actually love that point, and I love hiring people who've run their own business. Uh, because they do have a different perspective. And I've found that's, that's one, you know, kind of talent pool that other people may not appreciate as much. But yeah, I love people who've had their own business because I do think they treat the job very differently than if they haven't been in that chair. Yeah, I make the joke that I, you know, I, I don't think I ever hugged a boss when I walked out the door at the end of the day. But I think, you know, if, if my paycheck cleared, I think I'd go give him a hug every two weeks. <laughs> It's a little different when you see it from the other side of the fence. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have all that responsibility. And I'm a solopreneur. So at the end of the day, you know, my responsibility is just on me. I mean, you've, you've grown companies to hundreds and hundreds of employees. So you have, you'd have a lot of hugs at the end of the day if everybody was paying attention to it that way. Yes, I, I can't say that I get that many, but I get occasional ones. <laughs> so, Joel, what do you actually love about this lifestyle of being a serial entrepreneur? Yeah, I love the challenge that business represents. Uh, every day uh, you have new, new issues, new problems. The world changes. Um, I'm a very competitive person, and to me, business is a great way to compete. And at the end of the day, you, you, know, you, add up, you can add up the numbers and see if you made any progress. So do you think being competitive is something that is helpful to an entrepreneur? I, I think it's certainly very, been very helpful to me. I mean, it, it's certainly kind of what motivates me uh, to work when things are tough and, you know, maybe you lose a deal, that competitive instinct kind of kicks in and says, you know, I don't want to lose another one like that. Let's figure out how we're going to win the next time. So in addition to being competitive, what are a couple other traits you think that people who want to be entrepreneurs or start their own thing, what are some other traits they should have? Yeah, the number one thing I think for CEOs is, is to be learners, to be constantly learning uh, and adding information. Nobody's qualified to be CEO when they when they start out, uh, and there's just too many things. But you see the people who've been very successful, 
the one common denominator typically is that they've they've learned very quickly. And it explains why certain CEOs like a Mark Zuckerberg or a Bill Gates, who started out very young without any experience, but they were so smart that they got bored at Harvard. You know, and that and you got to be pretty dead good learner if you get bored at Harvard, right? <laughs> and so it's that common trait that they're able to take in large quantities of information and constantly get better and better. And I think that's critical for anybody running the business. So you said that you know you you were an engineer who thought I don't want to go take all that pre pre business work before going and getting an MBA. Do you think for you know someone who's working in kind of that that fast paced startup world, do you think that the MBA matters, or do you think getting in there and getting your hands dirty is the better way to go? Yeah, I. I do not. I'm not a big fan of the MBA as it's taught at most universities. Uh, it's very heavy on things that you can measure, uh, do, you know, looking at things that, that you can take an analytical approach to. And my experience is most of business is focused around people. Uh, and so it really takes experience and, and learning uh, that can't be done in the classroom to be successful. I think in some cases, the MBA is almost a hindrance to being successful in small business. So a couple of times you've brought up how business is about people. And, you know, I've been sort of, I built my career teaching people how to network, how to get engaged in the community. And when I first started this almost a decade ago, I've been doing it full time for six years, but about 10 years ago, when I started sort of teaching this, a lot of people in the business world and and also in sort of the the conference and speaking world sort of rolled their eyes at me like, oh gosh, you're going to talk about networking. That's kind of fluffy you know, you can't make a living out of that. And at the time, it kind of scared me because that was sort of where my experience and my strengths were, were around seeing how people get engaged uh, within their community. However, flash forward 10 years, and all of a sudden, it's one of the hottest topics. And now people, you know, hire me specifically because they're saying, oh, you know, the people aspect is so important in business. Why do you think like a pendulum you know, that being important sort of goes back and forth. Right now, it's popular. Ten years ago, people were like, pish, everybody understands that. Well, I think, you know, the nature of business has changed. Um, a lot of our management theory and, and, and approaches to business were formed, um, you know, after World War II, heavy manufacturing influence, uh, heavy product influence. Uh, you know, over the last 10 to 20 years with the advent of the Internet, much more service-oriented business, much more knowledge worker versus factory floor. And because of that changing nature of work, um, you know, if you're, if you're a guy on a factory floor, I don't need to engage you much other than measure how fast you're putting the, the parts together. If you're a knowledge worker, I can't just watch you and see how, when that report's going to be ready or when that creative piece is going to be done. And so it's kind of, I think, the changing nature of work has forced people to deal with, with the people issues much more than they had to when a lot of the original management theory was developed. So, Joel, we talked about what you love about being an entrepreneur. So what is it that maybe you don't love quite as much? Are there ever any days you think, wow, that Ph.D. and becoming a university professor, that, that would have been a good idea? Uh, oh, sure. There, there are tough days uh, in the job. I, I'm not a big fan of raising money. Um, you know, I, I kind of I, I don't don't like that part of the the business. Uh, you know, I think uh, you know, especially if you've had success like I have, that people ought to just want to write you a check because you're a good guy and you've had success, and it's never that easy. Uh, and so, you know, being concerned about what's going to happen if the money runs out, if we don't grow as fast as we need to do, uh, what are you going to do? Those are things I'm not a big fan of doing. I'm not a huge sales guy, though. As a you know, uh, owner of a small business now, I do a lot of sales activity. Uh, I would rather uh, 
uh, have someone else doing that. But, uh, you know, that's the challenge with a small business. You do whatever needs to be done. So, Joel, you also wrote a book about a year ago. Tell us a little bit about the book. It's called Walking the Tightrope, if my mind is working correctly. I just sort of blanked on the title of the book. But it's Walking <laughs> the, the CEO Tightrope. Very the close. CEO Tightrope. Walking the CEO, yeah, the, the CEO <laughs> Tightrope. Tell us a little bit about what led you to writing that book, and, and do you think that writing a book helps a, a CEO position themselves as an expert, or was that something that was just an ancillary project for you? Yeah, the, the book really came out of having taught a course uh, for about the last four or five years uh, for the Austin Technology Council. Uh, that was around the CEO role. Uh, most people get no training for the CEO role. They either start their own business and there you are, or they're a functional uh, specialist, they're a salesperson, a CFO or whatever, and someday someone knocks on their door and says, hey, Joe, we think you'd make a great CEO. And so, you know, having done it for about 25 years, I wanted to take some of the knowledge I thought I had gained around um, kind of a way to think about the job. What what really is the job? I mean, if I, if I tell you I'm a salesperson, people know what you do. If you're a marketing person, they know what you do. If you say you're a CEO, people are not even sure what you really do every day. And so I first developed the course, taught that for a few years, and then used that material to write the book, really to start the conversation about what CEOs should do and is there a methodology and, and my belief that we can better educate CEOs, and that would cause a, a major effect on companies because, you know, many companies fail because of the leadership at the top, and it's because they don't have much experience and haven't been trained on what the CEO role is all about. So the book is called The CEO Tightrope. When you think about the tightrope, the, the, the casualty of failing on the tightrope is, is you fall, and you fall a long <laughs> yes. way. Have you seen CEOs fall? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, one of the things about the CEO role is there's really only two exit modes. Uh, there's the exit ro- mode of success where you, you know, you, something, you know, positive happens. You either reach retirement or, or you, you sell the business or, or somehow capitalize on the business and everybody, you know, all your investors are happy or you get fired. <laughs> <laughs> and there's really, you know, unlike other positions where you can kind of, oh, he, he made a change, you know, he took a better offer, he, whatever. I mean, it's not really, it doesn't really happen at the CEO role. You, you can either very binary in the, in the uh, success of the CEO. And so I think the tightrope analogy, in addition that nobody just stand, can stand, you can't just stand still on a tightrope, right? A tightrope walker, you know, kind of has to keep moving to kind of keep your balance. And CEOs are always being pressured to continue to grow, continue to do better every year. Well, when I work with audiences and we talk about entrepreneurship, one of the main words that comes up when we whiteboard sort of what do you think of when you think of an entrepreneur, the number one word that comes up is a risk taker. And those who take risks sometimes fall off that tightrope. You know, for a CEO who stumbles or a first-time entrepreneur or second-time entrepreneur who, who sort of stumbles, is, is that the end of the path for them or is that just part of the learning? Yeah, it, it can certainly be part of learning. Um, but a lot of times if you get into kind of a significant CEO role and you fail, a lot of times you don't, you know, you don't get a second chance. You know, and I've never been a big, I've never felt like I was a big risk taker as an entrepreneur. Uh, matter of fact, one of the things that appealed to me about entrepreneurship was having more control personally over my fate than I felt like I had if I worked for an employer who, you know, could randomly make a decision maybe to close down my office or whatever, and, and I wouldn't even know it was coming. So I always felt like entrepreneurship was, was about minimizing risk uh, not and, and that I wasn't necessarily being risky 
uh, relying on my own abilities as opposed to other things that might happen in a big company. Boy, and I bet that relates to a lot of listeners. When I look at the profiles of the people who write me because they listen to this podcast and they send me emails, there's a lot of people out there who are working for another company and they feel like the bottom could be pulled out from them at any time. And they love the idea of starting their own thing specifically while there's risk, specifically so that they're in, in control. Yeah, absolutely. I've always felt like I had a lot more control and at least if I failed, it was because I did something uh, and I could live with that. But I didn't want to be in a situation where somebody else could, you know, kind of pull the rug out from under me unsuspectingly. So, Joel, I've got a few more questions for you. But first, I want to thank the sponsor of this episode. And today's episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Now, I can talk about Podfly because they produce cool things entrepreneurs do. And they set you up with the right equipment, the right training, and the right guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. I'll tell you, when I started this podcast, I didn't think I could do all the technical pieces, and I was afraid from my own experience that I would start it and then sort of drop the ball. And I found the people at Podfly, and they do all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that I can focus on creating great content and growing this audience and interviewing cool people like Joel Trammell. So if you're interested in starting your own show, they have an offer for the listeners of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. All you have to do is visit podfly.net slash cool things. So Joel Trammell, I got a couple of more questions for you. What advice do you have for people who want to go out and start their own business? The simple advice is, is do it. There's just no better training for running a business uh, than actually jumping in, whether it's a lemonade stand or, or a, <laughs> a huge company. Uh, I, I don't know how to train people to do it without kind of getting your hands dirty. It's one of those activities. And so, you know, I encourage people often. Now, obviously, you've got to, you know, be in the position where you can afford and, and, and be able to take the risk. And, and it's, you, you want to put a reasonable plan together. But uh, there, the only way you're going to learn entrepreneurship is doing it. You, you can read all the books you want, but I think you need to get out there and do it. Yeah, and I think that's great advice because I sort of started my speaking and training business on the side, but it wasn't until I got laid off six years ago that I went full-time into it that I actually was able to get the business going and, and learn and, and really take it. There's an old, old Texas expression that if you chase two pigs, you can't catch one, and that was really the story of my business is I had to go full bore after that one pig. That's right, and I think that's absolutely the right advice. So, Joel, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What are the coolest things that you and Chorus are doing right now? Yeah, it, it's really cool to be visiting with CEOs. Um, it's really cool when they see the light kind of go on about how they can uh, change the way they run their business. Because, you know, really, there are so many people that are affected in a business uh, by how well the CEO runs it. And, uh you know, so we really think we're creating better jobs by creating better CEOs, and that that's exciting to me. So that must be kind of also sort of a double-edged benefit in the fact that, you know, you're getting to visit with these people because they're the people you're selling to, and you're providing a product that helps them. But also, as someone who is sort of an educator of CEOs, you're also probably discovering a lot just by sitting down and talking to them. Oh, yeah. I learn something almost every time. Uh, and, you know, it's a very interesting group of people. Most people don't get to be CEOs of an organization just haphazardly, right? Uh, and so they have a lot of interesting uh, stories to tell, a lot of interesting experiences that we can add to what we're doing. 
So it's interesting because the reason I started this podcast was I actually was at a seminar and somebody said that if you're ever feeling stuck, one of the best things you can do is go out and interview 50 people. And at the other end of interviewing 50 people, you'll never be the same. You will have always grown. And so I was going to interview people for my blog and just do 50 written interviews. And, you know, podcasting about a year ago was sort of blowing up. And so I got this idea that, oh, maybe I should do that. And so I took that advice of interviewing 50 people and tied it together. And now I get to interview solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, people with that entrepreneurial spirit, people like you who are CEOs of growing companies. And having done over 70 interviews now, I'm actually starting to see a lot of things coming along. And it's fascinating to me that that advice of go out and talk to people was some of the best advice I ever got in my career. Yeah, I've spent, uh, you know, the last 20 years, I've had uh, maybe uh, only a handful of lunches each year that I didn't go to lunch with somebody and visit with somebody. Uh, different um, that I thought was interesting from a business perspective. Well, and it's been almost a decade, but Keith Ferrazzi wrote a book called Never Eat Alone, and some of the best entrepreneurs I know really believe that that's true, that you got to eat anyway. You might as well be eating with somebody that you can learn from. Absolutely. We could talk about you and about Chorus for the rest of the time, uh, and that would be fascinating. However, I also believe that the best entrepreneurs are observers, and so I always like to ask my guests here on the podcast, what do you see out there? Somebody who is not part of your company, but someone doing something else who you think, wow, that is just great. That's an interesting question. Um, and I don't know that I have a, a great answer off the top of my head, but let me think for a second as to, to what are the things going on that I, you know, maybe wish I had thought of or wish I had, what, wish I had pursued. You know, the whole, I, I don't really understand, but, it, but it's fascinating to me, the whole sharing economy, the way that got going. Um, I was in a, I took an Uber ride the other day and uh, the driver had, one of his phones was an Uber phone and one of his phones was a Lyft phone. Oh, wow. And so he was answering, but you know, he would, he would choose whichever one he wanted to give the ride to based on it. And so I'm still trying to figure <laughs> out how all this shakes out. I, I've been a big proponent that the driverless cars, um, are going to take over the world, but I'm not sure what that means when they take over the world. So I've you know, been following what Musk is doing, what Google's doing. I think there's a big transition occurring here uh, in the next 10 years that, that, that revolves around this, this sharing economy and then the, the driverless car, cars and transportation. But I can't quite put my finger on what that ends up looking like. Uh, none of the descriptions I've read as to where we end up necessarily resonate with me. So that's an area kind of I'm focused on and trying to figure out what the heck's going on there. Well, that's interesting you bring that up because the, the two products that I use probably that I think the highest of that have sort of impacted me the most, one is Uber. I mean, I, I when I go to a city that doesn't have Uber, I get frustrated with the entire city. And I think, <laughs> how backwards can the city council be to have voted this down? I mean, we went right. through that in Austin, right? They tried to say, yeah. oh, oh, no, no, we can't can't have anything but an old-fashioned taxi cab in Austin. And people were like, hello, we're supposed to be the innovative town. And eventually the city council decided it was all right. But I do get a little frustrated because you'll be in the middle of nowhere in, in a suburb in a town, and they don't have Uber, and there's no way you can get anywhere. And yet if they have Uber, boom, a car appears in like three seconds. And it's like, how in the world did that happen? Yeah, it's fascinating. And fascinating. The, and, the, and the other one that I like is Silver Car. And that is just they, they rent so you go to the airport and instead of going to Hertz or Avis, you know, you hit your app before you go and they meet you at curbside and they drive you and you take your phone and you turn on the camera and boom, you hit the little square looking 
dealy bop at you know the barcode and mm-hmm. it all of a sudden the trunk pops open and you drive away and you come back and they just charge you what gas costs at the place down the street and it's just so much easier than going through all the hassle of a traditional rental car and so both of those things are around transportation and they're probably my two favorite life changers that i use are silver car and uber and, and i think as that filters out it, it it really changes you talked about the nature of work earlier it, ta- it, it changes where people are willing to live now if i can do a lot of work on the way to work do i am i willing to live further out does that solve congestion problems? Does it increase congestion? There's a lot of interesting things. I think there is certainly a fundamental change going on. The world will look very different 10 years from now in that whole area than it does today. Well, and you bring up an interesting thing. I mean, transportation has been around as long as man has been around, but that's what we're talking about right now when we're saying what's innovative. So transportation is always going to be key. The other question I love to ask everybody is, what do you do to serve the greater good? Because I actually think that in addition to being observers, I think that the best entrepreneurs also want to find a way to give back. So what do you do? So, yeah, a couple of things. I mean, I, I actually believe everything we're doing with Chorus about making CEOs better. I mean, CEOs have such influence on how good the job is uh, of the people in the company and the success of the company. And, and, you know, there's nothing like a failed company that causes a whole bunch of uh, people to have to go find new jobs and a whole bunch of stress and activity. So <laughs> I, I absolutely believe that if we can make people better CEOs with Chorus, that is a, a great good, and, that, and, and there's nothing this country needs more than more good jobs. Um, so, you know, that, that's something that, that it is a passion for me. We also, uh, my wife and I have a child with special needs, so I spend a fair amount of time in the special needs community working with technology and on the board of a uh, local school that services special needs uh, children. Uh, it's, it's been amazing what the technology, particularly things like the iPad, uh, I tell the story, the first time I came home with the iPad, I set it down on the counter and showed the kids what it was, but didn't, didn't give any instruction. And the next day I come home and my then five-year-old with Downs is playing on the iPad and, and he's not just pushing buttons, he's watching Scooby-Doo, which was his favorite video. And no one was there to have shown him how to do it. And it was really amazing because he couldn't read, but somehow he managed to find Netflix and find Scooby-Doo. And so that really opened my eyes to the potential of the technology to help in the special needs community. Well, you have always been a very generous member of the Austin business community, always there to help other people who are on the way up. And that's wonderful that that you serve the special needs community. And uh, I think people can learn a lot from sort of the the path that you've led in the way you've you've both been a businessman and a member of your community. So thank you very much for that. Great, Tom. So Joel, if someone's listening and they want to find out more about Chorus, they want to find out more about your book, or they want to find more about Joel Trammell, how do they find you? Yeah, sure. The two easy ways to find me, uh, Chorus is spelled with a K, so it's K-H-O-R-U-S dot com, as in everyone singing in harmony, but I was too cheap to buy the C domain name, so it's (laughs) K-H-O-R-U-S. And then uh, I publish my thoughts and ramblings around particularly the CEO role at TheAmericanCEO.com. Excellent. Well, Joel, thank you very much for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Always great to talk with you, Tom. And thanks to everybody who listened in. We'll be back in a couple of days with another interview here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. In the meantime, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.